going a little bit. I don't want to move the camera anymore. Are they, are they a bit more? I'm trying to deep. <laughs> Dude, come on. Seriously. <laughs> two, more, two more inches. Size of your <laughs> There you go. <laughs> this is such a shit show. <laughs> Jack, I really apologize. So am I going to see like each of you doing this? This? Yep. And this? Yep. 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 This will be the fucking weirdest first episode <laughs> ever. I mean, we're basically all sitting here watching pornography. Hello, barbarians. Welcome to the first recording of the LLB podcast, Low Level Barbarians, a podcast focused on discussing topics from business, tech, startups, investments, economics, society, and more from the Asia region. At the top of the economic ladder are the barbarians. This podcast is dedicated to you, low level barbarians looking to level up or for anyone interested in these topics, looking for an Asian perspective. As you heard, the first episode had a rough start, but I promise the discussions won't disappoint. In this episode, we discuss the Grab SPAC IPO, the nature of Chinese antitrust, and the COVID situation in Southeast Asia. Before we get to the topics, I'll cut to the introductions of the Barbarian in Arms, so let's level up. So I'm Alex, your host, uh, typically of EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia, a podcast focused on talking with founders, investors, entrepreneurs in the Asia region, X-Rock Internet, did venture scaling for Easy Taxi and Laura. Did a bunch of bootstrap startups and do full time podcasting now. With us, uh, the man of the high ground, Dave Chang. What's up? Yeah, Dave Chang uh, worked in com companies like The Onion uh, in the US, Group on China, Living Social, the Onion, Casinos. In the, the Onion? Yeah, The Onion, The Onion, the satire. Like the parody okay. yeah. site. Yes. By itself, yeah, a satire. Shit, this explains okay. so much about you, know? <laughs> yeah, stories. So yeah. Many stories. Uh, he also did a Korean beauty startup called Althea. Uh, he's an entrepreneur turned media investor who deploys capital in order to acquire IP. Uh, Dave recently moved back to Malaysia, where we're both based, right? Yeah. Uh, we have uh, Jang Lan Lee, the super connector information man who knows everyone and their mother. <laughs> Born and raised in China, but lived most of his adult life in Singapore. He's the founder and CEO of Momentum Works, which is a venture builder, an intelligence service provider with a corporate learning division. Is that right? I'm minimal. And many, yeah, many more things. Uh, Jangan knows literally everyone in the region, probably. Uh, he's also ex-Rock Internet. Uh, we did Easy Taxi together. Before that, he was in a media company where he was an editor and an entrepreneur who expanded their business. Lastly, Andrew G. Andrew Nyananatham. Uh, did I say that right? That's not bad. That's yeah, not bad. Not yeah. bad. Wow. Uh, Andrew G. is the master debater. Who previously worked at BCG, uh, who later became the CMO of Lazada Malaysia. And uh, now his favorite question is, uh, what do you do now, Andrew? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so what do you do now, Angel? Oh, man. Uh, I do a bunch of things. I invest in startups. I advise startups. And I do podcasts with Alex when, uh, when he gets his <laughs> mic right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so these guys, uh, they, they have very strong views. They're not afraid to hold the punches. Uh, each of these guests have done a podcast on the EOA podcast. So you can check out their backstories if you're interested. Want to know more? Uh, anything else to add, guys? Or did I miss anything? That's good. Okay. All right, let's jump into it. The first topic, the Grab SPAC IPO, and what does that mean for the region? So Grab, uh, since 2020, raised over $10 billion from eight rounds, uh, and they plan on doing a SPAC IPO, right, which is what the pipe is, $4.4 billion. Yeah. And then the SPAC itself is uh, $750 million. Uh, $500 million. $500 million. $500 million. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I read their deck wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, why don't you give us the context, Dave? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, 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 I have a lot to say about this particular topic, mostly because I was very aggressive on the last episode of EOA about why I don't like this deal. Oh yeah. So, oh, so yeah. let me yeah, just shout over that. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me let me allow myself to actually give some insightful analysis on why. And I think there's this. I mean, the way I look about it, let me take the shit sandwich approach, where I'll say something nice, mm. I'll say a really big part of shit, and then I'll say something nice again. Okay. Right. So. Um, I think so. In general, uh, as a deal, I think like in terms of the deal structuring, this is a super interesting deal vis-a-vis the SPAC component of it, right? When what I mean by that is like, if you if you think about it, traditionally when a company goes public, they probably take anywhere between to a two to four percent dilution hit that they shouldn't have, because your underwriting bank will typically underwrite the value uh, or uh, underestimate the value of the company to give their institutional investors um, sort of the pop that they want. Right? Yeah. So, so, uh, and then the trade-off there is because you have like Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan underwrite your IPO, you have a better curated public investor base, right? So that's kind of like the it's like the the rubber stamp to let like the big mutual funds like Fidelity's at T-Roll prices say this is a legitimate organization mm-hmm. to invest in, right? And the trade-off, of course, is again you take uh, like anywhere between like a one to two percent dilution hit depending on how much of your company you sold during your IPO process. Um, so why I really like this from a deal structure point of view is Grab has essentially done the best of both, right? So if you look at, so so the headline term is this is the biggest SPAC ever. It's yeah. actually not, right? The yeah. biggest SPAC is I want to say like uh, the Churchill SPAC, which is actually a $5 billion SPAC, yeah. right? So the way this works is the SPAC is only $500 million, right? Um, Altimeter is putting in another $750 million as part of the pipe. Right. And the rest of the $4.5 uh, billion is coming uh, from the pipe, right? Yeah. So there's two... Buckets of capital, yeah, right. And, and if pipe, you, pipe is correct. And if you look at who's in the pipe, the pipe is like the creme de la creme of public market investors. Yeah. You have your BlackRock, your Fidelities, mm. your T Rowe Price, your Tomasic is in there. So actually, a lot of the same names that's already on that would do an IPO anyways. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so they're all effectively the public float is only like one percent of the total market value of right. companies. So they're getting best, best of both, right? So they don't take the dilution hit, but they're still uh, creating like a really curated public investor base and obviously theoretically it's a faster process so mm-hmm. so from that point of view i think this was like a really well done okay. done deal yeah right? really so, good financial engineer there's a really there's good financial a, engineer there's yeah. a butt coming here though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this shit sandwich and then yeah. the big butt <laughs> right um and i think the big butt is like i have a bunch of issues with this company that i'll put down and try and go through succinctly so number one right i think their their positioning is disingenuous Right. So, so there's Altimeter or Grab? Grab. Now okay. we're talking about Grab. We're, okay. So we're talking about the actual business itself. Got right? it. I think the deal structure I'm quite comfortable with, right? Okay. So the actual deal is their their headline is like we're the biggest um uh, uh tech company yeah. in Southeast Asia, right? Right. So essentially what you're saying is like if you're buying into us, you're taking a bet on Southeast Asia as a region because we compete in all these different verticals. Yeah. Right? yeah. We're in right hailing, we're, we're the we're a combination of Uber, DD, and like a Stripe. May Twan. May Yeah, correct, yeah. correct, correct. But I think that's disingenuous because if you actually break it down, right, they're in the markets where they actually have to compete, where there is a well-funded competitor, they're actually not in the number one position, right? So yeah. so like it's like Indonesia, because that's like the crown jewel. The regions have the population essentially mm. and half the value of any business. And and there you obviously have Gojek. And I took I did some research on this platform called NativeX and on just this is pre-merger between Grab and uh, Gojek and GoTo. Yeah. So Gojek actually has 5.7 million MAUs versus mm. uh, Grab's three, right? And that's before you include all the transactions that the Tokopedia merger yeah. would would add in, right? Mm. So so it, their, their, their market leadership position is 
far from clear, right? And I think even based off sort of a deck that Jingda had sent over, right? Uh, like I think Shopping Pay has like 10 million paying customers at this point, right? Yeah. Which actually far outstrips the transaction volume on the Grab platform. So that's number one, right? Their position is very questionable. And number two, uh, they're, the, the verticals that they compete in are, as we all know, they're like incredibly capital intensive uh, markets, which require a lot of incentive marketing to grow those businesses, right? Ride hailing, food ordering, and basically payments are all incentive driven, right? Like you grow those markets by giving out bonuses and incentives. So then they're not profitable on any of them, right? They say they're profitable on ride hailing, but what a lot of people will miss out is they had a $500 million swing in their mark in their profit between 2019 and 2020, which is also equal to the discount or the difference in their incentive payouts for drivers. Yeah. So of course during COVID, you're not going to pay more mm. driving incentives, right? That's yeah. it's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Yeah. So essentially what you have in business is number one, their leadership position is questionable. Number two, they're burning through cash in all of their um, core businesses, and they have strong competitors in all these businesses, right? So you have like uh, obviously in ride hailing, you have GoTo, uh, you have Uber to a certain extent still in like places like Hong Kong, yeah. and then you have like local competitors in Vietnam and food, you have your food pandas, you have your delivery heroes, uh, Shopee's getting to it, and payments, Karina. Is, well, Karina competes in all of these as well, but Karina yeah. is huge. And Karina also has a business that makes money. So they, their cost of capital is eventually going to be much lower. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's very As it already is. In as it already is. Correct. Yeah, as it already is. You've seen this, right? Yeah. Super questionable. Uh, and then the third point is, as I mentioned, I don't like the, the control structure, the management structure of the deal. Anthony Tan owns 2% of the business post-SPAC and he controls 60%. Of the voting right, which is complete control. How different is that from like Zuckerberg's control of Facebook, though? Because I mean, like, okay, first of all, it's not as disaligned, right? So that's yeah. a good point. Zuckerberg owned twenty percent of Facebook. He yeah. still owns twenty percent, mm-hmm. right? And as I mentioned, like this is not a product company, right? Like the argument for Zuckerberg or like the the Eric's, the Google guys, right? Is these are visionary product businesses, and you need that product founder with like the clear vision to drive the business and grow the business. I don't think Grab is that. I mean, Anthony Tan is a storyteller, right? Uh, or so, okay, yeah, so, well, there's so much to unpack with yeah, that, right? Okay, like, okay, like, like, let me start with the last bit first. Um, whether a founder has a lot of control or not, like, so I, I have a lot of respect for Anthony and what he's built, right? Yeah. In the sense that I think, you know, starting out of, as a taxi app, and then this was way before we wanted strangers to get into our cars and mm-hmm. thought that was a, an okay thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, having the vision to build a taxi app, roll it into a full blown uh, ride hailing app, logistics app. Then tag on, um, you know, uh, food now, groceries later, fresh, and then eventually build out the whole universe for payments, right? So like, let, let's take a step back here. I think in general, what's happening is in the West, companies that choose to monetize user data tend to monetize it with ads. Yeah. In Asia, it's been grow your market share as big as possible, then monetize with loans and additional financial services, right? Yeah. So all of them ultimately are playing a similar, like whether whether you take Garena or Grab or GoTo or, you know, any, like literally everyone who's playing in Southeast Asia is building a database that can be monetizable with financial products, right? Okay. If you look yeah. at the biggest angel rounds of the last, you know, 18 months, right? Bukukas in Indonesia, Ula, they're all building off the same thing as well, right? Yeah. Um, B2B database that you can you can monetize with uh, with loans. Now, so it's arguable whether or not that's genius of, of Anthony and these other founders mm-hmm. or is that something that organically mm-hmm. happened. But the point sure. is, okay. because the market is evolving so fast, you kind of want to have control so that you can determine the direction of the, uh, of the company. So I'll give you an example. Okay. Forrest Lee being able to make the decisions that he can make in Garena to go from a gaming company to a, a massively, you know, losing 
um, um, e-commerce company and then successfully take it through uh, the last few years and then now launch food with the second mover advantage that they do in multiple industries, I think that requires control. So, okay. so it's it, obviously Forrest didn't give up too much of his equity when he uh, continues to have his voting rights. And, yeah. and in Anthony's case, he built up a war chest. But, you know, that's the trade-off he makes, right? So that's that's like my first position on your, your, your yeah. thing of, uh, yeah. yeah. But that seems a little bit counterintuitive because if you're going for a long-term, if you have so much control of such a small stake, there's almost a, a misalignment there. Because like if... If there's enough infighting or enough conflict or enough hardship and all of a sudden you become liquid and you feel like your, your effort is not being matched to your, what you own, right? You know, you, you have the control to make the change and, and do all the stuff, but, but you, eventually you find out, like, oh, I feel it's not worth it. You can just leave then, right? But you wouldn't. That's your baby. It's the biggest thing you've built in, in your life. Something you want to, it's your empire. But what's the, right? Jagan says, one what is the point of all this debate about control or not? I mean, if you like the company, you invest in it. If you don't like the company, you don't invest in it. So I, 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 I personally don't know what all this fuss is about. Um, um, personally, I think I kind of agree with Andrew G. That, um, that, that, that I, I think building, building company to this stage is formidable. Um, so, so, so we, we probably don't know from the outside, but, um, but over the years, they probably had lots of like, you no. Know, and difficult times, and um, and even if you see the business model, what they are doing now is very different from what how they started. So so every two years, I I speak with a bunch of guys from China, and uh, and and they come down and look at the market. And say that every, I mean the the dynamics are different. So so so, so the companies need to adjust. Um, I, I I just personally don't think that uh, that that the investors are able to make that decision instead of the founder. Because pre precisely as Dave said, right? I mean, that the market is still far from being settled. So, so they have leading position in some markets. Uh, Indonesia market share is like you know more or less equal, and um, and C is going to solve the spaces that Grab and GoTo are doing. So, um, so you never know. I mean, um, people ask me that uh, that whether the war is over, but uh, but it's not over yet. So, so 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 I do think that you need someone who has strong control, but. Of course, I mean back to Alex's point that whether the same person uh, is eventually going to get tired, or the same person would have that drive to 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 take it to the finishing line. Um, I don't see any other better candidate, to be honest. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a fair point. Like so, so you're, but I guess what you're saying is essentially it doesn't matter. Like essentially, this is a financially engineered company, and anything doesn't matter. It's not going to be a founder-led company, and that doesn't matter for the region. No, no, it's founder-led as of now. That's what he's saying. I make so I'm making a converse at that point. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, so. Okay. My my entire point here is I, I fully agree. I think like having the ability to quickly make decisions and pivot and, and make these transitions and all founders is incredibly important, right? Uh, just to clarify, in terms of Forrest Lee, he owns still I think I believe thirty percent, thirty something of Korea, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is so. This is my point. So I'm taking. I'm looking at this uh, in the context of like public markets. You're like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, also, it's like in public markets in the U.S. Right. So yeah. the U.S. you have this problem. Where the CEOs of most large publicly traded companies, yeah. they are basically short-term incentivized by their stock options, yeah. right? and yeah. they don't right. they don't own enough of the company for them to actually care about the long-term value that the company yeah. is driving, right? So, like the CEO of all the big Fortune 500, they own like, probably less, but somewhere in the approximate ballpark, like around one or sub one percent, right? right? And then yeah. you can see yeah. that in the way that they drive their companies and how they grow their companies and how they develop, yeah. because all they, if I'm being reductive, what they care about is basically how my quarterly performance is or how yeah. my, my annual performance is, right? And this is, for me, uh, you know, like a 
issue of governance incentives. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a governance issue. But this, this is where Jangan is saying, like, ultimately, you, vo- you vote with your money, right? And mm. if you think a founder-led company makes sense and it's one where they have executive control. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are pieces of this that we're not seeing. Um, like, for example, I, I don't know how the IPO deals with Grab's financial arm and its logistics arm separately. I know GFG raised a Series A separately. So that could be, like, one of the incentives. Like, if you look at Alibaba and Ant, right? Uh, at some point, the leadership of Alibaba, in my opinion, had a bit more of a difference to like growing the financial aspects of the company, which were in Ant and the others, as opposed to the e-commerce side of the company, right? And so that could be something that you see over time as well, and that's why you want to have control. Well, but that's an interesting point because that was a, if you remember that particular point, uh, point in history, that was a big deal when yeah. Jack Ma pulled out Ant Financial from Alibaba, right? And the yeah. Market. The owners, public market owners of Alibaba took, I mean, now we, besides the whole fiasco with Ant and what's yeah. happening, right? Theoretically, that value should have gone to the owners of that stock, right? And they lost out yes. a significant amount of, of their upside Correct. because he made that move and they had no control, right? Correct. And the incentives were off. And arguably, he made more of his money on, on, on Ant than he did from Alibaba. Yeah. Oh, okay. he will. Yeah. Well, yeah that, that depends. So, <laughs> yeah, he would or he would have. So. Depending on how you see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kept his mouth shut. He would have. He would have. Yeah. It might still happen, guys. Yeah. Come on. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the structure of GFG is within Grab and whether it's part of the IPO. But uh, that's the question. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I look at it from a different perspective. So Dave kind of looked at it from a top-down perspective, you know, looking at the deal. And, and the thing, Jangan, you could help me check, you know, because we were both doing Easy Taxi. And mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the long-term viability of Grab, right, it, it needs to hit profitability. Right, it needs to have enough liquidity to fund operations till it hits profitability. There's this redemption risk in the report you sent sent me, right? That that needs to be resolved because of Uber. I'm not sure the exact share. Yeah, most of the investors were convertible. So basically, it sounds like the last run of last run of funding, and so 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 the new investor had redemption rights if Grab doesn't go for IPO. By the thirtieth of June, uh, twenty twenty three. But but if yeah, goes to IPO, yeah, so then that problem is resolved. Yeah, so exactly. they, they have to resolve that. Mm. Um, the the other thing is, you know, it may take way more money to build out finance than they think, right? The, the whole incumbent of the financial system is like, do they work together, or do they have to invest crazy amounts more money than they actually expected, and then that's going to cause a liquidity problem, right? So this is all from the report that Jankan sent on from the financial analysis mm. of Grab, right? And essentially, Grab in the deck, right? And when you read their deck with Altimeter, they're making a contribution margin argument, right? They're, they're basically saying, if you look at my unit economics, it's very much like Rocket, like if you scale it to a certain size. Uh, you know, it, eventually we're going to hit profitability once we optimize var- uh, variable cost, mm. right? But the problem is like, so the underpinning is rideshare, food, and finance. And I looked at the GMV growth of rideshare and it's like by this year or next year, it's going to be $8 billion in GMV. And I did a quick napkin math. I'm terrible at math. So you could double check my numbers, right? Uh, you know, as- assuming every ride is like five USD, which is generous in some markets. Like in Vietnam, it's like $3 per ride. Thailand, when I was running it, it was like $3 per ride, USD, right? And then, so let's just, you know, you add Singapore and maybe you, you, you know, average in long-term, like long-distance riders, you get $5 per ride. That's about $1.6 billion in GMV, which is about 16 million rides per month averaged across eight countries, you know, it's an equal distribution. Six t- that seemed like a really 16 million rides a, mo- a month. Is that, Do you think, like, when you're running Easy Taxi, that you would have done 16 million rides in a month? Didi does 23 million rides in China a day. 
I know, but we were talking about Southeast Asia, right? So essentially, like we we looked at like taxi, but so what you're saying is private car plus taxi. They created this whole new category that's just freaking massive, which I find to be very skeptical that without the subsidies, that it's not there. And you see subsidies getting cut, right? So the underpinning of rideshare is very questionable yeah. to me. And that, that that network effect really is important for food, right? And, and once you kind of that kind of weakens from a bottom-up perspective, like that means you have to then start investing into a whole logistics arm. So it, it gets way more expensive. And it's not the same thing as in the US, right? The US where the market is already an incumbent, it's huge, and you're disrupting something that's very profitable already and the margins on the table, right? You know, you have you have Uber who who could who has like you know taking a new category because it was a real problem, but then you know you have food and you putting that together makes a lot of sense. I, I think, sir. So I'm just gonna like jump in here. I think this is a very Western way of looking at, at businesses, <laughs> right? Like, if you look at the history of how tech startups have succeeded in China, India, or now in Southeast Asia, there's a general pattern. So, so in the States or in Europe, there are these companies that play in, in very clean verticals or clean horizontals, and they just do that one business and they do that right. Our mistake is looking at Garena as a games company or looking at Grab as just a ride healing company. Sure, rides, maybe it's the largest part of the business right now. But think about it, right? Food is a 28% uh, take rate business, right? Uh, 20, 15%. Well, 28% like immediate take rate that you go to, yeah. to the merchant with and then, you know, minus, 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 you get 15% margin, right? So so it's like way healthier as a business than, than rides. And then if you add on all the other things that you could potentially add on on that backbone, right? Whether it's fresh, yeah. if it's, uh, I don't know, FMCG products, groceries, Gorilla style. Yeah. Do, you, do you know the company in yeah. Berlin? Gorilla is doing 15 minutes deliveries, right? If you tag all these different things out, dark stores, dark yeah. you know, malls and all of this, you end up building a much healthier yeah. P&L, right? And, okay, and, so that, that's the, well, let me finish. So, so that's, that, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let, let you finish. I'm a gentleman. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, though, it, I, what I'm saying is that that is like the theory. That I mean, that's the whole thing. The underpin. I, my point is the underpinning is very flimsy. Like rice share is very flimsy on the economics. Yeah. And that's important for food. Food. The reason why they focus on food, yes, because it brings cash to the table now earlier and has better margin, right? But the problem is with food, it's also really easy to decompeted away. Can, right? can, I, can I pause there for a second? Yeah. It's completely separate businesses. If you look at the kind of, of people you need and the kind of infrastructure you need for both businesses, for ride sharing, you're using cars mostly in Southeast Asia, right? Even yeah. though in Indonesia, it's mostly objects, but in the other markets, it's cars, right? For deliveries, your KPI system and the people you hire, uh, sorry, the people, yeah. you, your contractors are guys on bikes who need to do 20 to 30 deliveries a day, yeah. right? So it's a fundamentally different, like the, the recruiting and the people you hire are actually very different, right? Yeah. But the people that do food delivery, the guys on their motorcycles are the ones that can also do fresh, the ones that can also yeah. do FMCG. And basically they start to eat into, think about this, right? How many people go to 7-Eleven to buy cigarettes and uh, a couple of beverages? right? You can eat the market share of 7-Eleven and other modern trade businesses if you move them towards Grab, right? That vision is way larger than growing out ride hailing. So you may be stuck at 16 million, but so what? There's like 15 yeah. other no, things. I, I completely agree. So you're yeah. building a different business, but the problem with food is way more competitive, right? Then this is the whole valuation is underpinning on this, right? And, and I think, you know, then you you throw in finance, it's it's a very questionable, like, like it, Yes, they have the dominance, but like, you know, it, it could, I, I personally think like looking at the numbers and it's just way overvalued, number one. And number two, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot more competition that's going to make it harder that if you get another price war, like, so what's really important is that like in, 
because it's somewhat questionable on the underpinnings of this, I think they do need to IPO and get more liquidity as soon as possible so they can keep printing more money. Right? Dude, I, I feel, oh. I, I can't believe I'm the only one who's like super long and grabby. So let, let, like, <laughs> I, I told you I, that I was very short on Wow, I'm, I'm surprised. I actually thought this was like a common feeling and I'm glad that's coming up. But look, here's like, look at pure like baseline metrics, right? China has a population of 1.2 billion people. Alibaba's at 350 billion valuation. Meituan uh, is at 140, right? So like you have these multiple, like what, what do you call it? Something bigger than Decacon, Centacons, <laughs> yeah. whatever they call, right? Like companies pass $100 billion that serve a population that's 2x of Southeast Asia. Why is it that a company getting 40 billion is surprising? Look at, look at C Group, okay. right? Yeah. C Group is 200 billion today. And, and it's all the only one in Southeast Asia. Why are we surprised if somebody's getting a 40B valuation? First, for C, I'm super long on C. And uh, I actually put, put on our blog earlier this year uh, saying that the C's uh, market cap is going to reach 200 billion by end of the year. Now it's 150, so it's exactly yeah. halfway. So quite happy about it. Yeah. And, and then second, um, I mean, we uh, earlier this week, I had a talk with... Um, uh, some institutional investors organized by Credit Suisse. And uh, and one question which was asked to me was, does the tech rate in Southeast Asia is super low? Does it make sense? Because, because I mean, we, we think about things from a U.S. perspective, right? Tech rate is, is how you make money. And Alex, if you remember in the early days of, of, of taxi, we were doing that in Asia. People talk about tech rate, how much commission you can earn. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give you an example. Do, uh, do you know what's the biggest revenue source of Alibaba? Advertising. Advertising, 46%. What, yeah. How about commission? Correct. 16%. 16%, one six. So they earn three Correct. times as much money in advertising than in the commission for e-commerce. Um, Correct. We did, we, did, we did a number of analysis about, uh, about the e-commerce and different sectors in Southeast Asia, food delivery as well. I think Meituan is also moving quite aggressively towards advertising. So their tech rate is about 11 12%, which they are, based on which they are still making a profit. So... So I do think that in Southeast Asia, you, you probably see a situation similar to China where you have lots of lots of merchants, lots of lots of lots of sellers, and especially in e-commerce, you have the Chinese sellers who are who are used to splash, splashing money to get sales. So, so I do believe that uh, I mean, take rate is, is important, commission level is important, but it's only part of the picture. And um, at the end of the day, it depends on how big you can make the platform. I mean, how many customers you have, and uh, how are you going to spin the the flywheel. So if it's big enough, then you, you get money for advertising. People will pay you one or another. So also, also on a point of competition, uh, I, think, I think at the end of the day, I only care about three companies, right? Grab, C, and GoTo. I mean, the other companies are yep. not giant consumer internet companies in, in region, at least not yet. Unless someone comes in, another soft bank come in and say, okay, company A, company B, I'm going to give you $2 billion and you're going to compete. I mean, maybe AirAsia, I don't know. Who knows, right? Somebody's going to give them lots of money. <laughs> hey, you guys are laughing. You guys are laughing. No, but hey. But 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 that's a different topic. Different, different topic. We'll see that next week. We'll do that next yeah, week. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's this is this three big companies competing. Then then we just need to look at the dynamics and um, and if you want to diversify diversify your risk, you invest in all three companies. And uh, if one of them makes it like 50 50 times. Even if the other two completely fail, it doesn't matter to you. Yeah. So it makes investing yeah. much easier, I guess. 
Okay. Yeah. So I, I think this is, so you, I, I'm glad you guys all brought this point up. I think this is uh, fun for me to wrap up my, my original point is the crux of my issue with this entire deal is the value. I and mean, I think you asked the right question is what is the value of this business, right? We can sit here and argue about fundamentals yeah. and strategy, True. but as a public, as a public company, they're, they're comparables. There's yeah. opportunity yeah, costs, right. and it's very easy to go get these comparables, right? Yeah. So I went through this exercise and I looked at sort of the businesses that Grab is modeling themselves off of. So that would be like an Alibaba, a Tencent, uh, a Karina, to a certain extent, Uber, Meituan, right? And so using a really simple metric, Grab's um, market cap of 40 billion divided by their um, sales of like 1.6, right? Something like that. Yeah, it basically gives a ratio of 25 to 1. Yeah. Right. So the market cap so is twenty five times twenty five years. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Correct. So if you take that metric multiple and apply that to the comparison set of Grab's competitors, uh, what do you think Alibaba is? So again, this is a mature company, dominant player in their market with monopoly profits, right? And profitable, very very profitable. What do you think Alibaba's ratio is? It's still double digit though. You sure? Yeah. EV, EV sales. It's nine. Mm. What do you think Tencent is? 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the businesses that Grab is modeling itself off of have much lower valuation ratios than what Grab is selling itself at. Even Garena, which is, the, I think, for me, the closest proxy because it's in the region, yeah. operates in a lot of the same spaces, same vision, yeah. right? And, uh, similar, similar leadership, Forrest Lee, visionary founder, right? Yeah. Even Garena, which is a profitable company and has makes money, is trading at 23. EV sales. Yeah. So, so that's, Grab is 25. Yeah. So, so for me as an investor, as a public market investor, right? And I'm sitting here allocating my, my money and, you know, making my bets. You wouldn't buy Grab. I wouldn't buy Grab. Yeah. This makes no sense. So, so okay. Like, I'm just going to take a pause here on, on this, right? Because I, I'll give you an example of companies that do ridiculous. Roblox, hottest gaming, like, stock at the moment, right? Yeah. It's trading at 36.3x EV sales, yeah. right? And most people will say it's a stupid gaming stock to get into. But then, like... Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it, there's there's two stories to buying a stock. The first is, do you believe in the narrative? Sure. Is Roblox building a metaverse? If yes, better get in early before they build a metaverse, sure. right? And so, in that sense, like, is Grab building something much larger? Has the fly, like, uh, you know, and and do you buy into that story? And is it worth getting in at an expensive price because it's going to keep going up? So that's the first thing, and that's a gut feel you've got to decide. This idea of just buying on EV sales, you wouldn't have bought Tesla either. Right, because EV sales, it was doing, it was a joke last year. But, but if you're looking purely as a speculative asset, considering there are very few options in that EV market, it was the only place to buy. There are very few options to buy in Southeast Asia. So Grab would give you a play, obviously overpriced, but it's a play that's going to increase. Right, number one. Number two yes, is no, yes, yeah, yeah. but but number two, number two. So so what I'm saying is that commodity is commodity. You want to buy it if it's expensive, it's gold, but it's going to go up. You you buy gold, right? The second bit is is um, is about the flywheel effect kicking in, how long it takes to kick in. All the companies you mentioned, right, have had the flywheel effect kick in 10 years ago, right? Grabs are really at the initial states. They haven't even started monetization. If you look at ad revenues, like to, to Jangan's point, 46% coming for Alibaba. Alibaba had to take years to get there, right? Lazada, Shopee are not even close to that. Grab is, is at a minuscule single-digit percent, if I understand it, right? Which means, like... If you kick in ad sales, monetization, all the other things they could do from building a DMP and selling that, that stuff out, like the amount of money you can make off ancillary products, 
they, they, it's just scratching the surface. So my point is like that EV sales number may go down because sales will go up faster than you can think, even though EV stays relatively flat over the first five years of them being public. Does that make any sense? So, yeah, I can try. Yeah. Yeah, I so, can so it, it may go from 40 to 80, maybe in the first five years, but then like sales would grow up way rapidly because more and more retail investors like yourself with higher uh, you know, thresholds for bullshit. <laughs> we'll say I'm going to pay 25x, right? I want 12x minimum, and it will slow down. But you get in early, you capitalize on the capital gains in the first three to five years. Right. So yeah. I disagree with your Tesla analogy because I think this space there is very clear. Do you remember the EV sales when they were at 800? No, no. But your, your your argument was saying because Tesla was also the only player in its market or in its in its business at the time, electric cars, electric vehicles, right? Like as an electric vehicle company, if I wanted to buy exposure to yeah. electric vehicles, right? There essentially mm-hmm. is only one choice. I have to go buy Tesla. Nikola, Rivian, you, you could have- much later. But yeah, yeah, yeah right. But, but yeah, you're right. Cause yeah, let's say I'm making a bet on the region and that's what yeah. Grab is. Grab is a bet on the Southeast Asian yeah. region, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the thesis that we all agree on here. But uh, again, and we talked about this, I, like if I was gonna make a bet on the region, I would much rather bet on something like a Garena or a C, yeah, yeah, right. Then, then, because this is proven, it's already they're doing. Like I said, it's it's the same thesis, right? We're making a bet on the region. The business model, their strategy is very similar, right? So twenty three x twenty five x, not that far, bro. No, come on, come <laughs> on. Anyone that buys stocks knows that the, the yeah, these yeah. small percentage points are where your money is made or right. lost, right? That's not. I don't think that's a yeah, yeah. fair argument. And I, I think actually, just one more point about this. I think also what gets lost, and again, it's going to sound really reductive, but treating. Southeast Asia, like a single entity, is a huge mistake, right? Especially because of the China context. I'll explain what I'm going to, right? Mm. So, and we're going to talk about this maybe later. In China, the way that the CCP is structured and their strategy, it actually behooves them to have one or two national champions because that allows for them to implement certain level of control. And we're all seeing this now, right? But because Southeast Asia is actually five or six different countries, right? There's no guarantee that you're going to be the quote-unquote national champion in any of those markets, first of all. Like, if I was Indonesian government, right, and I had to choose a national champion to roll my e-wallet or my e-commerce or whatever, right, I would much rather go with, like, a homegrown competitor than I would in this space. Mm-hmm. It's similar to Vietnam, Thailand, for all, for, all, for all these markets. So, so I think the incentives, you know, the regulatory aspect of this, right, mm-hmm. and the dynamic between the public private sector is, I think, something that we can't ignore. Sorry, I, 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 I have a point about regulatory incentives. Um, so when you look at China, of course, you talk about CCP. Uh, so the incentives of CCP leaders are aligned with the incentives of China as a country. Right? Not necess- I mean, yeah, the same yeah. thing can't be said um, for lots of countries in Southeast Asia. So... As a Chinese national, that hurt Jang'an. That I'm hurt. American now, so I yeah. so, so I mean, I mean, practically, if you think about, um, so uh, national champion, but national champion disrupts lots of traditional businesses in the particular nation. So you 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 are going to have lots of pushback there as well, and many of them have friends in the government. So 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 it's, so it's not it's not smooth sailing that. Um, that, that, that the government will support national champion for sure. I mean, there are people with different incentives. I, I'm sure these national champions, when they build their businesses uh, in a country, they offended lots of people. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's the nature of all these disruptors, right? So, 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 so not necessarily that will translate into a huge advantage for them. I'm, I'm not saying anything yeah. in particular case, but I'm just saying that in general, there could be this possibility. So don't yeah. take this as investment and, advice. And I would say, like, and, and to connect what Jangan is saying to, you know, what 
Dave, you brought up earlier this idea of um, Grab hasn't been able to be successful in Indonesia, but they're in all these other markets. Does it warrant their so-called public view of their success, right? Mm. I think this actually is a very interesting point because South America also has a parallel in where a lot of investors say, if you're not in Brazil, are you really in South America? Right? Because yeah. you've got you've got two markets, Mexico and Brazil, that have most of the population, most of the buying power, yeah. and then nobody really cares about Chile. Peru, Dude, Mexico's in North America. Sorry. Mexico. Ah, true, true. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I'm gonna say Latin America now. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for the catch. So let's say Latin. Um, but uh, then I can't speak about Belize. But yeah, sure. <laughs> um, anyways, so so I think there's a couple of things, right? First of all, all these other markets, even though they're small and fragmented it's hard to win in these markets for the same reasons you said, right? There's, there's internal incentives, politicians, or, you know, internal entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that they want to push. Vietnam is the most popular for this, right? There's Thailand a couple. Too. Huh? Thailand as yeah, well. You know, the, like, look at the, the, the Gojek deal in line and how it's a very different market from. from no, no. But in terms of like the government propping up local players, like look at, okay, uh, yeah. you know, like chat apps in, in yeah. Vietnam. It's, mm. it's the local applets. Okay, but that, that was yeah. more organic, not really government driven. Ah, yeah, you can say the same mm. about China, sure. Amazon. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. But, but the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, when you have centralized product and tech teams, uh, you know, solid engineering talent sitting down in Singapore, you're able to do things that eat these local players may suck at. And in asset heavy businesses, it may be arguable that local players have an advantage, but when it comes to like product UX and all the other things that eventually wins markets over time, um, that's where being able to build into all these markets can benefit you, right? Um, so Grab's already leading in a bunch of, of markets. Um, now, now the question is then, do you warrant you know a case of <laughs> Southeast Asia x Indonesia? And Southeast Asia, in because what seems to be happening right now yeah, yeah. is that there's a split where there are certain companies that do really well in Indonesia, and then there are certain companies that do well outside of Indonesia, and there's very little overlap, right? Other than maybe C Group, right? Where, you know, also arguable because if you look at how much Shopee is burning in Indonesia, you would want to cry, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's next topic, right? Yeah. So so the point is like I don't know. I think I think what may end up happening, and and you already see it happening in, in Latam as a, as a equivalent, right? Like you got New Bank in in you know Brazil, and then like you know every country has its own like uh, Neo Bank player, and then there's very few like like uh, trans Latam players, right? Rappi is probably the only one who's trying to build like a trans Latam. Um, 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 mega unicorn, and and in in I think that's happening in every region like ours where there's these massive fragmentations and big companies, uh, big countries that take like a bigger share of the pie. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not one player can overcome, I don't think. Like my bet is that actually it, it's like a pseudo fragmented market that continues to persist over time. Interesting. I mean, I'll make one final point on this before we move on, and I I, I, I don't discount the belief and story that what Grab is, what, what, what Andrew's trying to say. Grab could probably back into this big thing that, you know, could pile on network effects and sell on more things they never thought about, like advertising and whatnot, right? That, that's possible. But it's largely a function of where we are in the macro picture of how much money there is in the market. There's a bull market going on. Sentiment is flying away and money is flying away. It's, yeah. it's an it's engineered thing. And as soon as like that kind of picture breaks apart, and the liquidity dries up and, you know, it's a very, then starts to be more questionable where things start to fragment even further. Yeah. Right? So, so, so I think that, that uh, you know, it, it is possible. And that's, that's the bet, right? Now I'm saying like the more 
you know, from rideshare days from when we started till now, I use I do use Grab more. So I, I'm part of the cohort from like 2014, whatever, right? When, whenever it was, and of course, you know, if you look at the the, the core analysis, it, it, your usage gets you know exponentially bigger. Yeah, and of course, but and of course, then the debate is you know services and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, I think it's it's largely fueled again the underpinnings, right? The, the fundamentals are not too strong, and it really depends on you. Clearing that hurdle and needing more money to get there, which is yeah. not so clear in my opinion. So, would you buy that IPO? Would you buy that IPO? Would you buy at the IPO or would you short? That's a very good question. You know, yeah, I put my money where my mouth is. Uh, I'll put more money and see, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to try shorting. I'm, I'm already yeah, Dave said he's going to short. <laughs> Dave's going to short. <laughs> so, so, let's, let's make this bet. I want to make this bet. Let's put my, our money where our mouth is. Yes. Right? So, yeah. I'm going to short it. Uh, and then let's just introduce it. So, like, so full disclaimer, I've, I've already put my money where my mouth is. That's true, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So, so, yeah, it's too late for me to back out. In fact, I'm making these arguments more out of like a belief that I need yeah. to <laughs> because I've already put my money down. But yeah. But wait, wait, so Jangan, I want to hear your thoughts on this like geographical split. Like, uh, you know, this whole point of like, you can either win in Indonesia or outside. Do you see like a, a trans... Southeast Asia players becoming stronger over time or a split? Like, what's your what's your perspective on this? Um, personally, I think the trans Southeast Asia players. I mean, if you, if, I mean, it's it's extremely difficult to make a trans regional player, but if you manage to do it, and ob- obviously the value is much higher than pure Indonesian player, and um, and if you want to to truly make an Indonesian champion, you need to be basically in every aspect of people's life to to be able to justify a higher high valuation because because this is going to be a long term play. Um, so specifically about, um, about, uh, how do I, how do I say, uh, about what I would buy grab. And I think I will wait for, for two quarters at least. I mean, this is something that I'm doing with every stock. I mean, just see what market is, is taking it. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and of course by two quarters, you, you, you already have, um, some, some comparable financials that you can look at. So, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's being diplomatic. That's, that's, sure. that's, that's very, very. He's being diplomatic. He didn't answer your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well done. <laughs> very smart. Well very, done. Very well done. Very can, well done. can you shift the camera so we can see your PR team sitting next to you? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's yeah, a joke. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, sorry. It's one last thing. Not to be overly negative, though. I do think that this IPO in general yeah. is actually very good for the region. Of course, yeah. I, I, I think. Agree, I yes. think. <laughs> just, despite <laughs> the <laughs> not. No. Are we all? Are we all getting politically correct now? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think. Sandwich, sandwich, sandwich. No, <laughs> I, yeah, I said sandwich at the start. I said good, a bunch of shit, and then good again. Right. Yes. So I, I'm not. No, but I think, I think one number one, though, right? It shows that you can have outsized exits. Yeah. From, yes, and, correct. And also the amount of uh, liquidity that's going to the market from just people cashing out their yeah. options. They'll go out to start new companies. They'll become yeah. investors themselves. Yeah. I think it's overall, just, this is like an incredible milestone. Yeah. For, for Southeast Asia as yeah. a tech ecosystem. Yeah. So, so congratulations. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, all my doubts about the business aside, it's a huge achievement. Congratulations, team at Grab. Yeah. If you see and, me, and, don't, you know, punch me in the face. And, and honestly, like, if there's one thing, it's like, I always think it's important to do that, that relationship. If the Flipkarts of the world and the Alibabas of the world can reach the valuations that they have, why do we not have Southeast Asia equivalents that reach similar-ish yeah. valuations yeah. Yeah. size to the market? You know, we've got 600 yeah. million people here. Sure, a bunch of them don't have mobile phones yet, but we're working on that, yeah. you know. But why do we say we should limit to 20 billion or 10 billion when, you know, these other countries have $350 billion companies? Yeah. I agree with you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, uh, Jangan, final thoughts on this before we move on? No, I think we have covered everything, so... 
no final thoughts. Okay. I mean, I, I still think there's more to talk about, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. I think <laughs> that's going to long time yeah, yeah. For, for the sake of the time, right? So uh, let's, let's move to the crackdowns uh, in Chinese tech. <laughs> Antitrust in China and the U.S. Favorite topic. So I'm just going to leave the room it's right now. I like to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Jack and Rice, you know, yeah. it's a lot about it. Yeah, right? Really, Jack? Is, is that why you hide out in Singapore? <laughs> What's, what, what's behind it? You know, squad cars runs through Chinese servers, right, Jagan? <laughs> it does not. It does not. Uh, I have a lot to say. But, but recently, yeah. right, the, the Chinese government, the Cyber Administration of China, yeah. uh, under the State Information Office, right, since 2020, Alibaba's record fine with 2.8 billion, ByteDance, made one tenths, and Alipay, which have all have been visited by the regulatory bodies. Of course, on, on one perspective, right, uh, you have the Western media saying this is a Beijing power grab play. On the flip side, if you read other articles, you know, who are actually you know, covering it more nuanced, they're saying there's an actual antitrust issue and worry is it. So what, what is it to you guys? What's going on here? Is this really real antitrust or is it what the West is saying? I would not be the first for this one, no. Well, I think, I think look, you, look, they're not mutually exclusive. First of all, that's true, right? So let's 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 go back a few years in Chinese history to when Xi Jinping took took power, right? So he, yeah. he came to power in twenty ten or something. Mm. My dates are always a bit yeah. fuzzy, so don't quote me on these things, right? So he he came into power, and one of his big first initiatives was this anti-corruption uh, clampdown, right? And these are not mutually, and so so again, same 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 sort of story, right? Internally, it was framed as anti-corruption, want to crack down and, and you know clean up. The, the party. Um, externally, it was perceived as sort of a, a move against its political opponents within China, right? Mm. But let's be honest, those, those are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. You, you can do both, yeah. right? And I, I think in my, my perspective of this, right, um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of both, right? I think legitimately yeah. the CCP does have, in the case of Alibaba and Ant, for sure, right? They had concerns that Ant was becoming, uh, the, that entity, that group was becoming too powerful and they wanted to, um, for the reasons aside, I think are, that's one right, but like the motive aside, they did actually want to decrease the power of um, Ant and in financial and power. Power in sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were the biggest lender, consumer lender in China. <laughs> Okay. I think they were ten percent of all consumer loans in China, right? Uh, they have so, like, so there's a systemic risk. Yeah, it's a, it, I mean, and also the, the the way it's structured, it's controlled by you know like like eccentric person who they you know are not necessarily well at the time, right? He was sort of like the golden child of China. He was a poster boy, right? Yeah. So there was there's a lot of risk there for for the CCP. Um, and so then the question then comes like, okay, right. So how much of that is for sort of like regulatory governance? How much of that's yeah. politically motivated? And I think for me, I don't have insight into like the Politburo or CCP. So I, Correct. I don't think I can answer that question. I don't know the people and I don't have the information, but I'm just saying like these two ideas don't have to complete each other. Yeah. I mean, even the most nuanced articles I've read, uh, they, they cover the antitrust antitrust parts, you know, as, as a real reasoning. And of course, but they will always leave this very open-ended, you know, is, is, is this element of power an issue that, you know, and of course, you're right. I think if, if you don't have insights into Politburo, you just can't blindly rail on it and say, yeah, you know, it's just all for power grab. And, you know, like uh, there's no such thing as a real founder in China, right? Because I don't think that's really the real story or really being fair. What do you think, Jagan? I know you guys are going to point at me at some point of time. Um, <clears throat> so, so, so this DD thing was really 
surprising, right? I mean, lots of people didn't. I mean, you, Did you explain the Didi thing? So Didi went for IPO, very quiet, on the 30th of, uh, of, uh, of June this year, one day before the centenary of the Communist Party's funding. And of course, on a day, nothing happened. And the next day, things started, right? I mean, you have, you have the Cyber, Cyber Space Administration of China uh, making some announcements saying that DD violated some like those cybersecurity I and mean, posts on cybersecurity risk. Then you have them taking taking DD off the shelf and DD app, and uh, then eventually the other 20, 24, 25 other apps run by DD, the company. So, um, so I think even yesterday there were, there were those, those some reports that uh, that the, the the penalty is going to be quite severe. So I'm not sure if you guys heard of this um, this word document, which is actually a, supposedly a meeting note. Uh, from someone who used to work for the CCP's uh, Department of Propaganda, or now they call Department of Publicity, because they probably realized that propaganda was the not a good word. So, 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 <laughs> so, 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 so that guy, uh, that guy made some notes, and uh, which, which, which he said is the is what actually happened with the with the DD episode. So that document became super sensitive in China. So you send this this document to a WeChat group, that WeChat group gets disbanded by Tencent. Uh, even some of the groups with very senior government officials get disbanded because it became so sensitive. So essentially what this document said is that um, so the central government, different departments, even the shareholders of DD, I mean, the Chinese shareholders of DD, Alibaba and Tencent are both shareholders, advised the DD to wait until this thing is clarified. And the DD told the government, and specifically the CSC, that uh, you would consider delaying. I mean, they didn't actually promise but uh, but they said okay, we would consider delaying that uh, for by, by a few months so that we can we can talk this thing through. We can we can make sure there's no risk, and uh, they went ahead anyway. So 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 that I mean, it's, it's it's very hard to explain to someone who didn't grow up in China what that actually means. Um, the, sort of this this lack of political awareness, as we call it literally. So uh, apparently, this sent somebody from the top very very angry. Yeah. And uh, that trick. Do you know? Do you know why they rushed it? Like, was there was there any kind of share redemption or something that they were rushing? Because there was a weird first July date that they were trying to hit. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe they have something similar to grab. That's that's much more more severe. Maybe they have rushed it or whatever. I, I don't know. But 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 there must be a reason why they were rushing for this date. And and, and there's no ceremony. Yeah, there's also whatever, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, that was my question, right? Because this, this is also in the context of, so this year, for everyone's information, is the 100-year anniversary of the CCP. Yeah. Yes. And the anniversary is like early July. I think yeah. it was like July 2nd or 3rd. First, first. I, I agree with you. First of July. First, yeah, exactly, right? And so I found the timing incredibly questionable as well. Yeah. So we operate in the media space mm -hmm. in China. And media for the last year and a half leading up to the 100-year anniversary has been incredibly sensitive. Yep. They, they, they banned... The most power, the most popular TV show, mm. which is called Rap China in China, which is like a rap battle mm. show because basically the guys had tattoos on the mm. show and it didn't promote good socialist values. Mm. So this is a level of sensitivity mm. yeah. that's within wow. the country. And so to me, this was a, a really questionable uh, behavior pattern from Didi's part as well because you can also consider who's on that board or who's a president. Yeah. So the president is Jean, this one by Jean Liu, right? Jean Liu, yeah. Who is, is basically Chinese royalty. Right, like yeah. her, her parents, her father, you know, they were on the governing committee. So, yeah. I, I, but, but, I'd be curious if you had. Okay, why did we so tone deaf to the entire? Thing? I think I think this get a little bit into understanding the so-called royalty, right? I mean, um, you probably heard back in twenty twelve when she first came to power. <clears throat> there was another guy who was fighting against him, who was also son of uh, some famous revolutionary who used to be the mayor of Dalian. Yeah, Boshilai. 
So, 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 I wasn't Beijing. Yeah. So, 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 so both, both, both of them were princelings, and uh, and and I presume yeah. that when we talk about royalty, that's not a single block of unified people, and there's lots of infighting, and um, that's true. And and, and at, at the end of the day, so if you look at the situation now, clearly that somebody has more power than others. Yeah. And the, yes, I, you're, you're right. You're hundred percent right. There's definitely it's not a monolithic entity. There are factions within yep. the CCP. I, here's my question to you, then, though, mm. Jaman, right? Like, what kind of message do the recent crackdowns send to Chinese entrepreneurs? Right? Like, like mm. I'll give you something. I'll give you like where I'm coming from. Right? So, so like you know, Jack Ma was removed from from Alibaba. The Ping Duo guy, I can't remember his name, was removed. Yeah. The TikTok CEO was recently also replaced, like in May, and, and it just seems that in my my uh, analysis or viewpoint, it seems that China is essentially going around and, and or CCP, which is different between the two. CCP is going around and removing um, sort of the, the best you know tech founders and replacing them with uh, you know, and their backgrounds are always opaque, right? You never know yeah. exactly who these people are. But I'm just like, what kind of tone does that set? for the ecosystem within China, is my question. I, I think the analogy, if I could paint a picture, it's almost like the Chinese government wants freshly mown glass, grass as opposed to like free growing tropical forests in your backyard, right? So for them, they're like, capitalism has needs to be controlled mm -hmm. as opposed to capitalism like unfettered, right? Like, so what they see is probably, like it's probably two things, right? If I if I take a like a stab at this, I obviously don't yeah. know enough about this area, but like one is, that you want to allow companies. So I think the introduction of capitalists from 1972, when they first started opening up borders to now, right, has been about a gradual experiment to see how ex yeah. capitalism can enrich people and yeah. enrich lives. Yeah. But them also putting gentle like uh, breaks here and there without any clear breaks. And this is just another variant of the breaks. The truth is, most of us have short-term memories. We're going to yeah, forget true. about this two years from now, three years from now. What's the name of the Pinduoduo CEO, for example? <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean that out of disrespect, but I'm just saying, like, you know, in general, people move on from these things. And, and in that time, they would have built a structure of breaks and controls, right? And I think that's what's happening. That's the first thing, right? The second thing is, and this is where I get a little bit, uh, I don't know if any of this is true, and I'm just purely hypothesizing, right? As the Chinese government tries to create new interventions, for example, there, there is a digital currency now coming out, being produced by the Chinese government, right? It'll be the first, you know, uh, Chinese, it's actually the first sovereign digital currency being used by a, by a market at this scale. And on top of that, they want to use it for international trade in future to get other countries to use this and create a new system built up a backbone of Chinese digital currency, right? Now, if you have that, do you what do you do about WeChat and Alipay and how do you make them work within that? Right? It's a bit hard. I mean, sure, you can have them as a wallet to upload it, or you could control the whole, whole infrastructure. So I think they've basically it's like go out and play, build some roads. Okay, I like the way you've built this road. I'm going to take over your road and build a nicer road using the way you've built it, right? Which is a which is a pseudo-controlistic way of doing like it's like an umbrella cop on top of these corporations. They're like, if you think of, of Google being owned by Alphabet, CCP is like the Alphabet in the story. And all the other players that we're talking about are like micro companies being owned by this large umbrella mm -hmm. corporation. And they're saying, go out, do your cool startup -y stuff. And when you come up with something cool, hey, I'm just going to take that and apply that. And I, I control the IP. I control the data. I control how it happens. I don't know. This is me hypothesizing, but I, that's one 
Um, a few pointers from me. First is that, uh, of course, we talk a lot about, I mean, what does this say to entrepreneurs uh, as well as investors? But um, but I think if I'm, I'm a, 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 um, sitting outside China, and I think uh, I think the person, the people who should pay most attention to this is regulators, right? I mean, what? Why do they do that at this point in time? And um, and if you look at the, the crackdown and, and financial, the four agencies came in and started inspection, started all this. Um, I think I had some dealings with some people within these four agencies that they wanted to do something on ad for a long time. I mean, this this whole Huawei of Alipay having hundred times gearing ratio, that's not allowed for banks. Banks allowed what ten times, and uh, and and these guys are, are are running lots of things unchecked. And um, and the regulators are so fragmented, and um, and and behind and there's lots of vested interest. I mean, some of them are by uh, lots of what you call royalty, the princelings, and not 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 the sheep part, but lots of princelings are actually behind and, and so 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 you create a situation where uh, the regulators couldn't act, and uh, without a nod mm-hmm. from the top, they couldn't act. Uh, so 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 that's why you see when the nod comes. They acted very fast because they had all these things prepared. What do you mean they couldn't act? Why couldn't the regulators act? They didn't have the power. Because lots of things, I mean, lots of the things that Anne is doing, I mean, they are not a bank, right? So, 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 so if they are running a lending service with hundred times gearing ratio with lots of ABS, who should be the party regulating yeah. them? Should be the People's Bank of China. Yeah. That's, should that's should be the the, the 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 banking regulatory commission. Should yeah. it be. I don't know somebody else, Ministry of Finance, whatever. So, 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 so they 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 had all these issues, and and also also if you think about um, uh, what happened in the past few years is and basically bought all the media companies in China. So so everybody was seeing the songs mm. of 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 of, uh, of of Alibaba and I mean thirty six KR, the leading tech media in China, uh, and is their biggest shareholder. Yeah. And South China South South China Morning Post is owned by Jack Ma. So so all these things I mean happening. So. Yeah. Um, so it's very difficult for regulators to, I mean, acting alone to say that okay, hey, what you are doing doesn't make sense, and um, and yeah. and they were face, they were, they'll be facing lots of lots of pressure until, unless that. That is such an interesting perspective. Yeah, it almost fits into your narrative, though. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that just begs the question: like, there there is enough free room to become a really successful hero founder in China. So, yeah. but it, there is some type of external restraint there. So, so if I. So, yeah. so sorry, just quickly. I mean, if you look at the whole fintech thing, the, yeah, the so. whole fintech led in P two P, whatever. So initially, the government was encouraging that, and then it went out of control. Then the government is uh, mm. is, is is doing a crackdown that's almost too severe. It basically killed the entire sector. So, 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 so of course, the natural question is that uh, in the beginning, would it make more sense for you to actually put in some control so that the things will not go wild? Um, so, so this this, this is getting like ridiculously philosophical because you know what it becomes a whole like who watches the watches you know who guards the guards sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, like and and, and uh, let me take a step back and explain yeah. that right so I think if you look at the, the history of capitalism there's been all these externalities that happen when you take A and derive B out mm-hmm. of it and you get unintended C. Yeah. So for example, you take oil out of the ground and we were like, shit, you got cheap oil. This is amazing. Let's power the yeah. world. And then now we're like, fuck, global warming, yeah. right? And then, you know, then we have these companies that said, hey, let's figure out ways that people can like and share and connect to each other. And then they were like, oh, wow, data, let's make money with it. And now we're like, fuck, privacy. Uh, what about my attention span, etc." right? And, and the problem is when we get to the oh, fuck point, it's usually too late to do anything about it. 
right? And Western uh, liberal democracies don't have the structures required to break these companies. You, you look at what the antitrust uh, proceedings happening in the US, they're just struggling. You're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks because they're like, oh, I'm too big to fail. No, wait a minute. But you're actually providing the service for free. So our antitrust regulation doesn't work. So I think what's happening, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being too nice and benevolent to the benevolent dictatorship of China, but it could be that what they're saying is, there's externalities coming. We smell the global warming. We're not really sure how it works. It doesn't fit within our current structure of how we can take you down because we don't have, we don't even understand this smoke that's coming out, but let's take you down now with whatever we have and then we'll learn to deal with it, right? So that could be like, you can argue that that maybe what they're doing is actually doing some kind of protect. If, if I take what you're saying, Jangan, correctly, it's like they're actually trying to protect people from 100x leverage because they can smell the smoke and they know what CO2 looks like, right? Now, that being said, then 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 the counter argument to that is like Western liberal democracy have built a system of checks and balances so that, you know, no one becomes powerful enough to do that. And, and then through the beauty of everyone doing a little bit of fuck-ups all over the place, we kind of find an equilibrium. And the Chinese counter, the counter argument to that counter argument is Look at where that's gotten you, the West. Yeah. Look at global warming and look at the shit that you've all found yourself in. Right? I, I, my, my take on this is same shit, different smell. Like If you really think about the two world superpowers, mm. power will converge. It's just how you want to handle it, right? So I think they're just very similar kind of problems at the end of the day, philosoph philosophically speaking, right? I think there's a third path, decentralization and crypto. Well, well, we don't need to get there. Before we finish, uh, Dave's final thoughts, then we'll go to the final topic. Yes. No, no, let's, let's go to the final topic. It's fine. You want to see the final topic? Okay. COVID in, in Southeast Asia. <laughs> I mean, you guys wanted to. This was your, this do, do was we, your choice. Do we really want to talk so about this? This was your choice. I was no, feeling was good so about this. It no, it no Alex, Alex, two weeks ago, we were talking about this topic, and uh, we could still talk about this. But, uh, but, but well, to, to be fair, two weeks ago, I, I took it very lightly, but it's gotten pretty insane, no? Yeah, it has. Like, it's ridiculous how out of control. I mean, like, look, your lives probably haven't changed much, right? Because you're, we're all in a bubble and you're like, okay. We're also locked in at home. I haven't been yeah. out of my house. This is my first time out of the house in a long time. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, shabby. I know. <laughs> it's a good thing yeah. we have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. so shabby. <laughs> it's good. It's good. But, but I guess the general update is that, and I, I've been speaking to as many people around the region because this was brought up, right? And the common theme is that governments have been very slow to react. The Delta variant is out of control and all the hospitals from Vietnam to Thailand to Malaysia are just overpacked, right? They're, it's like, I, I see doctors in my elevator room in my apartment, they're telling me they, they can't even cope with the situation. Mm. That's getting, like two weeks ago, I was like, oh, we'll be fine. Another, you know, another lockdown, whatever. But mm. the more I dig into it, like you hear about people killing themselves, you hear about people getting depressed. And I think they're like, you don't see it, but it exists there, right? And there, there is more resurgence of crime mm. and all these kind of problems. So as much like, I really don't want to talk about this topic. It is still quite present, right? I mean, like, what is there to say though, right? The only way out of this is just to vaccinate everyone and move on. I mean, but that, that's the, you know, I think it's been proven. Well, and I think Malaysia's not doing a terrible job on that. I think Malaysia's doing, no, right? Credit, right? Do, credit, yeah, do but, credit, give it to where credit's due. I think Malaysia actually is doing a good job but, uh, with their vaccination rate. Malaysia has a, like Malaysia has a civil service which actually functions. I mean, you can say that the top is, is whatever, whatever, but it's the civil service functions. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it does. Based off the headlines in the past, who's paying you, Jagan? No, no, who's paying you? 
twice. Yeah. The thing is, yeah. the thing is the th- my wife is Malaysian, so so I hear a lot. I mean, from different Malaysians. I mean, you guys seem to be always proud about how fucked up your government is. Well, as if you just talk to any, you know, ne- no. It's not Okay. But 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 we we talk yeah. to any Indonesian, they will tell you, so what? This is just fact of life. I mean, what are you complaining about? In, okay, that, that's the Indonesian attitude. But then they are not not only they have the most cases, right? Yeah. And at the same time, they they are in big trouble too. Yeah, you know, you know, Jagat, the problem with that mindset is that's how a lot of Malaysians defend a lot of the shit there. So, so I, like, look, in in the in the 1960s, Malaysia had a higher GDP per capita than Korea, yeah. Taiwan, and Hong Kong. And yet, in the last 50 years, even though we had more natural resources, mm-hmm. we somehow managed to squander that lead, and and not by like a tiny margin, yeah. by several orders of magnitude of a margin right and and as a result like that's the problem right like we say ah but we're not as bad as indonesia look at indonesia look at somalia we're better than somalia that's okay you know i'd like to be grateful mm. but unfortunately we shouldn't have fucked this up we I had should, everything in I control should. if you look at our numbers in yeah. may we had things under control we knew what we were doing and then some guys decided to just you know, and this was like from the top, right? We didn't buy enough vaccines, number one. Number two, we didn't control uh, people's movements in the states where we should have been. We had a fucking election in November that we shouldn't have had, right? Like, oh, who has an election in the midst of a of a of a pandemic? The US, right? And and, a, and and a snap election in the poorest state with with very little hospital infrastructure. It's like recipe for disaster. Anyways, the point is, I don't want to get into politics here, but like, I, it's it's like bad decision after bad decision. Right? Well, I mean, it's, it's very similar in, in Thailand too, where they have a social media scandal because they bought too much Sinovac, but yeah. then everyone found out Sinovac's not effective and the, the, you know, the health variant was out of control. Yeah. So only the, this week that the Thai government uh, joined the new COVAX program, now yeah. they're getting access to Moderna. But they only got it next year, right? Or something so. like that. Yeah, 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 something like yeah, that. So, yeah. I mean, like, it feels like the common theme is like Asia has been very slow to react in general. And in the beginning, that wasn't the case. Not people the case, people not were yet. like, "Look yeah. at Taiwan! Look at Taiwan! Look at Hong Kong! Everything yeah, yeah. was like generally." So under- Taiwan is still okay. Taiwan, no, 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 Taiwan, Taiwan, okay. Taiwan had a spike up in the last two months. Yeah, a bunch of cases, but Hong Kong's been managed yeah, yeah. very well. So, so, so that's not. my point. Like, we're, we've we've had SARS before. We've had all these other viruses. Like, we've had these people in power who who ideally need to know better. And honestly, we live in a world where you can pick up the phone and go Sweden. All right, tell yeah. me all about your process. Yeah. Right. It's and and it it was something like for the first time in the world we had aliens and zombies. We had something to fight <laughs> yeah. together yeah. as a team. You know. And I just think that people just weren't doing a hundred percent what they could have. Okay. Well, let me let me ask you this question, right? So, do you do you think that post this crisis, people actually do something? As in, they'll they'll actually go out and, and vote. These people have power. Yeah, no, do, you, yeah. do you think that? No, no, but no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think. What like at the very least, what's happened is there's incredible fodder to vote against. There's no point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also think that I like for us, we're in a bubble, but there are people who are really in pain from this. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, I do think yeah. that there's gonna. It's possible to have some grassroots movement change. And I was studying the the, the history of Thailand because of this, and they had. 23 coups since 1932. That's something changed government. 
Yeah, they don't have. Yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. They, don't, they, they just right. like, that's that's a bit like okay, but the point is like there, 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 there's a trigger <laughs> and an impetus. There's like impetus to this, right? Yeah. And change will happen. But, but right. So anytime there's unrest in Thailand, then then it starts to then the, the coup yeah. happens. Right? Uh, so, uh, but okay, let me let me work. Sorry, uh, I'm a little bit more pessimistic about this, and I, I, I think many countries. I mean, the fundamental way that this country is set up is not going to be changed. I mean, look. I mean, how many people try to change Afghanistan? I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm comparing Southeast Asian countries to Afghanistan, but there are some fundamentals in the countries yeah. which are very, very difficult to change. It takes, it takes almost a dictatorship of the years to to actually build things in, in place. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Malaysia's civil service was was uh, was left by the bridge, right? I mean, so 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 to, to, to the beginning of the infrastructure and everything. Yeah. So, um, and 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 you, of course you can vote against the current government, but who do you vote in in that place? That's, yeah, this yeah. Is, I, that, that's your point. What's the alternative? So, so my, my point is like the alternatives are generally travel. And across Southeast Asia, what's going to happen? Though, actually, not even Southeast Asia, just across the globe, right? What's going to happen is there is enough uh, like evidence from the other side that the side that was in power wasn't doing a good job. Right? Very few countries you, you, can you have people who say, no, my, my prime minister or my politician yeah. did a great job. Because anyone who's lost someone in their family will say, Screw you, politicians. Yeah. Anyone who's lost a job will say the same. Anyone who's lost a business yeah, will say the same. The, the, the pocket of people that will actually say, actually, it wasn't too bad, is very small in any country. Yeah. I, I, I fully agree with yeah. you, but I think the, the flip side of this is like people, and I think Malaysians in general, have very short-term memories. Yeah. Right? Look at Najib. Najib is a great example. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, I, I now see people posting on Facebook, oh, you know yeah. what, we should bring Najib back. Yeah, How many which countries is, crazy, is this podcast banned in? Like, I just, <laughs> I just, I just didn't know which which app was to avoid. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, yeah. I, I need to leave Malaysia. My phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll avoid more of the politics stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, like, also, but, any friends from Grab, please, you know, like, I'll just avoid <laughs> yeah, them. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm, I can't help you with this. Yeah, well, I, I went on record saying <laughs> specifically about COVID. Um, um, did you guys know that China built a wall between the uh, at the border with Myanmar, a five hundred kilometer wall? Oh, wow. Yes, they built a wall with a barbed wire with the with, with the surveillance and stuff because because what they realized. Holy I mean, shit! This is World War Z. No, what they realized is that uh, Burma couldn't get their um, COVID under control because because there's, there's no central authority. I mean, I mean, different 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 regions are controlled by different warlords. So 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 over the I mean, if you see over the past um, past half year, every month they would di- discover cases in Yunnan and brought by people who crossed the border illegally from Burma. So uh, Myanmar, sorry. Um, so so they decided to build a wall, and and uh, of course, as anything Chinese, they build a wall like pretty quickly. So <laughs> unlike the one building yeah, US, and <laughs> so it's a, it's a Chinese playbook. So it's a great wall, Myanmar now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, 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 okay. issues to build a wall. Trump should have asked China to build the wall instead of the Mexicans. It probably would have gotten done. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so so here's the question. Uh, I don't think Bur- uh, Myanmar is able to police the border with India. And uh, so, so that if you look at the situation in Myanmar, if you look at numbers, it's pretty bad. Do you think that Thailand can place the border with Myanmar? Mm, there's no natural border. Man, very if, if you look at the Thai-Myanmar border, just geographically speaking, yeah. it runs across a mountain range, which is quite high. Mm. And it's uh, several thousands of kilometers long, right? I, I don't think it's realistically even possible. Mm. So uh, I don't think there's much of a geographical border on that side, though. Thailand-Myanmar? Thailand-Myanmar. Massive. Massive shot, like just. I thought it was just a forest. That's it. 
No, it, it cuts. It cuts. I know that other countries do have mountains like uh, so, that are more insulated, right? Yeah. Like, but Vietnam like doesn't, right? Yeah. So Alex, I've been following the news uh, in Myanmar. So, so the good thing about WeChat is that you have all these Chinese people like do, 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 doing business in different places, and uh, they publish news about those places. So, so, so I'm, I'm following an account which which tells me every day what's happening in, in, in Myanmar, and and almost the information. Almost every couple of days, you hear this kind of news. Oh, um, some some militia is fighting against the army, or some militia is fighting against another militia, and 500 villagers fled into Thailand. The next in two days, it's like some other militias fighting against some other militia. Like three hundred villagers went into Thailand. So you see, it's. Uh, it's I mean, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the the whole thing of relying on border control is wrong because eventually it's not going to solve the problem. But we are in a situation where there there are governments who will not put the act together. And in countries where the government even doesn't have control, so so what do we do about it? How do we? Bring things back to normalcy. Well, I mean, I think yeah, I I, I, I agree with you, right? And I think but that's what I'm saying. Like, the only way out of this is just to basically vaccinate. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, everyone okay. in your country. So, so the regardless of origin, yeah. right? There's, yeah. there's no, yeah. and that's I mean, you, and you see this in the U.S., right? The U.S. Is a, has had a spike of cases, but the, the death rates are actually still quite manageable because yeah. the majority of the population has been vaccinated. Uh, using yeah. either Pfizer or um, one of the U.S. vaccines. Well, right? the other interesting point is that, like, the countries who have a huge stock of vaccines can use that for diplomacy, right? Like, yeah. like U.S. is sending like one that. one million doses per country, but like that's so it doesn't yeah. make a big impact, man. Like, if you have billions sitting there and no one's using them because yeah. they don't want to get vaxxed, send all of them, right? Like, I, that, think, I think it's eighty million is the U.S. stockpile at this point. Like, they're yeah, they're unused doses of um. Of, well, no, there's more. Uh, there I, I, mean, I don't know. Okay, this is just through other sources, but they're, they say that billions are sitting on the shelf because of the anti-vaxxers, right? So mm. I don't know, like, you know, you could fact-check mm. that, but, like, if that's true, they should just send all of that out, right? Like, I mean, like, it would do so much more good in the world. Okay, let me ask this question. Yeah. So then, okay, in, in, this, in this context, do you think it's appropriate for the government just to tell everyone to go get your vaccine, whether you want it or not? I think vaccine should be I think so. Mandatory. I think so. It should be mandatory. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, there's a. But realistically, I, lots of governments are not going to do that. So, so, so I think a reasonable approach is that um, uh, is that you 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 make the lives of those who are not vaccinated increasingly difficult, and you have the you, yeah. you have the perfect yeah, excuse that's saying that because we are doing this because we are protecting you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't get why it should be meant. Uh, look, I, I understand the philosophical reasons for it, but like so many other vaccines are given to kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, no one and questions anything. Nobody questions it. Number yeah. one, yeah. right? And and like we've seen, like thick Scandinavian countries where like organ donations is an opt out as opposed to an opt in yeah. mechanism, right? Yeah. They have the highest rates of op, uh, organ donation because you you don't even know you're on the register yeah. until you're dead, and then yeah. you're, like your kidneys are gone, right? <laughs> so so it makes it makes more sense to have opt out systems than yeah, opt in, right? Agree. But I but wait, I wanted to, I want to jump on Jangan's point here. It's very interesting because if you look outside of COVID. Um, you have a question of like, how do we deal with, you know, this kind of border immigration at this, yeah. at this rate, right? And it's very interesting because um, Southeast Asia, actually globally, the, maybe COVID is a test for like things to come. Yeah, It's like, I mean, not to say, not to belittle what the shitty two years it's been, but like, you know, with global warming, with even more aggressive pandemics and yes. whatever else we have, uh, food shortages that we have up ahead, 
the kinds of, of problems that you're talking about, Jangan, is probably going to increase, right? Like, yeah. you know, people from Burma crossing over the Thai border when yeah. when when there's flooding on the plains, when there's... Next topic. You know, I, it could be next topic. Yeah, yeah maybe it's segue to the next I mean, topic. change. Yeah, yeah, but like, so uh, I think, uh, I, I don't know the answer is like right now, like people estimate that Malaysia has somewhere between two to four million illegals, right? Um, yeah. And it's entirely possible if you look at like uh, if you speak to any friends who own like medium-sized business here and check who they employ, like a bunch of them will be illegals. I'm not you yeah, know ratting sure, anyone out, sure, friends. Sure, sure. I'm not naming any names, know. but you know who you are if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> but but the point is, <laughs> I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. the, the point is, I think these kinds of systems are going to increase. But maybe to like take it to a tech angle. Maybe what's needed is systems that get to support them that are quasi-governmental or like supra-governmental that able to give these people's like livelihoods in the new markets that they enter, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm dropping my crypto. The, the uh, Balaji. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my, my Balaji Srinivasan yeah, stack. Yeah. Well, yeah? I mean, that, that's a whole, that was a whole premise of like the what is it, Dreamers program in the US is to give illegal immigrants a path oh yeah dream, dream yeah the dream program yeah, it, was, it was called dream right to yeah. become like a, a path to have a citizenship yeah. to be productive citizens yeah, as yeah, well right. so so basically the premise was essentially that if you were the, the child of an illegal immigrant if you either went to like a four-year university or yeah. like joined the military that yeah. at the end of that yeah. if you obviously finished it yeah that you yeah. would become they would grant you citizenship yeah. Yeah. so that's in a way gamification right I mean just nudge people's behavior based on some rules that you set for them that's in a way gamification so you basically you you nudge you nudge people's behavior by by a set of like rules and levels that 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 they can follow and they can try to attain which in theory China has the best controls for that then I guess uh, speaking of China, did you? I think that the question is whether or not there's innovative ways to do this for yeah, illegals yeah. as well, mm. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. like right now, one of the biggest issues, like most markets are having, is how do you vaccinate illegals, right? Yeah. In, yeah, Malaysia, yeah. in Malaysia, they're just trying to be really nice and say, you know, we, we won't send your name to the police. Just come. Yeah, but they're they're registered <laughs> then after that. Yeah, but then yeah, you get registered yeah, yeah, after yeah, that. So yeah, nobody's yeah, gonna yeah. vaccinate it, and yeah. and it's wildfire. Um, um, I mean, I want to end this on the positive note. Yeah, I think you know we're, we're not a bunch of guys who just hate on everything. Yeah, uh, I was positive. Yeah. I was. Yeah. Positive. <laughs> I said it was great for the ecosystem. Really? Yeah. I said the deal was. I, 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 I think I, I was very positive. I even debated the CCP. You know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I said yeah. That. You were very yeah. yeah. I said Malaysian politicians are the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Very nice. But I, I think you know, despite COVID and everything, uh, everyone gets their vaccinations. And uh, I don't know. Hopefully, it's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right, guys. Uh, so I think it's a good first episode. Nice. Right. Thank you. Shangan, good to meet you, man. Yeah. Yeah, good to finally meet you.